Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, Val. Hey, hey. So we just finished recording the Electric Daisy Carnival episode. Otherwise, we are now known as the Electric Gaijin Carnival. I mean, it's turned into such a huge Gaijin event over the last decade. And, you know, both of us, we weren't there. And we haven't been there in many, many years. So we thought we'd get someone on the pod who did go to talk about it from a fresh perspective. And it was our guest's first time at EDC, which was really surprising and refreshing to hear his perspective as a first-timer. And our first times are a decade ago, and so much has changed, yet a lot of it sounded really familiar. Also, it's someone who's from a different generation from ours, (laughs) Red, younger. And because of that, he's called out a lot of things, a lot of problematic behaviors that I think you and I have just gotten really used to. Or were the um, causes of them. (laughs) Yes, or we perpetuate them and we allow them. (laughs) We don't hold people accountable to them. And so ever since we've stopped recording, I find myself really thinking about those call-outs. I think partly it's we didn't have some of the language and self-actualization then. Uh, So he's also really interesting because he does academic research on raves. I got a little nervous when he asked some thought-provoking polarizing questions he includes in his research (laughs) to us. I felt like the whole episode was a be real where we got to really look back and think vulnerably about the place that parties and raves have in our lives. And overall, I think it was just really fun thinking about the EDCs we've been to and how, you know, we've changed as people. Yeah, I I felt the nostalgia talking about it. And, uh, you know, living life at in in my 40s, everything is about nostalgia. But let's not give it all away and let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. So we'll roll it. Literally Gaijin. Literally Gaijin. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here for this week's episode of Literally Gaysians. A podcast where two gay Asian guys, a.k.a. Gaysians, Gaysians. get real about their feelings and literally Gaysian shit. I'm your host, Bao, and this is my co-host, a rising star in the hemorrhoid influencer scene, Chris. I hate you so much. <laughs> this has got to be the last time we mentioned my hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah, it's getting tired. Just like your anal blood vessels. I will put out a, a, a special call. You know, we've never talked about sponsorship before. This is it. <laughs> I'm looking for uh, a colorectal health specialists who, who are looking for customers. You need business? We're here. 
But new topic, EDC. Yes, it's time to talk about this year's Electric Daisy Carnival, or EDC, the huge electronic music festival that happens every year in Vegas. This festival has grown to be a huge event in the Gaijin community. Um, I remember when you and me went to our first one. Um, it's like anniversary. This would have been our anniversary a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And there was like dozens of Gaijins, little pockets here and there. And then we were looking at the Instagram like stories <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is hundreds and not just hundreds, like packs of hundreds all over like the festival. It's more than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, it's basically the Electric Gaijin Festival now. We didn't go this year. We're actually, where are we now, Chris? We're in CDMX, Mexico City. Yes, we're in Mexico City in the same Airbnb, but in different rooms. We haven't figured out how to record in the same room because Chris's voice is too loud, so my mic picks his up and mine is too too low. Um, but since we didn't go this year, we're in Mexico City, we decided to invite someone to the pod who did go. So everyone, please, please welcome Literally Gaijin's own senior EDC correspondent, Aiden Kwok. Hey, hello. Aiden. <laughs> hello, hello. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call myself like a senior correspondent since it's my first EDC, but hi everyone. My name is Aiden. Um, I'm currently a grad student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. My master's degree is on gender and sexuality. It's mostly looking at fetish wear, to be honest. But um, on the side, I've started getting into raves and now I'm trying to see if I can pursue this as a PhD project. But yeah, EDC Virgin, went to my first EDC, here to report all about it. I'm so excited. Welcome to the podcast. Finally, nice to meet you. I've only like know you through your Instagram stories and uh, watching like almost real time all your like EDC wonders. Uh, and so um, I'm excited. And I'm also excited that you're here, especially since you just left Vegas a few days ago. <laughs> How's your recovery going? It's rough. Like, I didn't expect the (laughs) desert dust and, like, the dry-ass air to, like, hit me so hard, but I've been hacking my lungs off for the past few days. And, you know, just hoping I recover because I'm going to another event this weekend. Um, But, yeah, fingers crossed, cough medication's kicking in, but... Otherwise known as the rave flu. Yeah, EDC flu, rave flu, nasty stuff. We invited Aiden on because he's an expert not only on EDC, but as you've heard, a side study or side research for his is on the Gaijin subculture of raves. That's how we found him. We'll get into that research a little bit later, but let's get a feel for what's happened on the ground here at EDC. I know Aiden, you said you're not the senior EDC correspondent. Chris and I are just feeling our New York Times, the daily podcast <laughs> oats. <laughs> so we're going full Michael Barbaro on you and interviewing you like you were on the ground reporting at your first EDC. Um, so what's the first question, Chris? So this is, I didn't realize this is EDC's 30th year, and it's huger than ever, especially after having so many years closed um, recently. So this is your first yep. one. Yep. What, what made you go this year? Oh, so this is a really great question because I, I was watching the live stream from last year, and I was going through COVID... I was hacking my lungs off for other, like for COVID reasons and just watching the live stream in the middle of the night. And a few months before, I went to a bunch of Gaijin parties and a bunch of people were talking about going to EDC. And it was the first time I've ever heard of this event. So I started like looking into it and I really wanted to go, but things just didn't line up. I ended up just watching the live stream at home and then just getting really, feeling the energy just through the live stream and then really putting it out there, manifesting that I really was going to attend mm-hmm. in 2023. So that's kind of the segue into how I decided to pay for EDC, like pay for that um, layaway plan. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't think I could have seen myself going to EDC. Like if you had asked me like a year and a half ago, the answer probably would have been no. Like raving wasn't in my radar up until 2022. I grew up pretty conservative. I grew up pretty like a good Asian boy. You know, I didn't really drink until I was 21. Didn't Mm. try any substances or anything until last year. So a lot of what I've been learning and developing as a researcher, as a raver, has been in the past 12 months. Um, And EDC just felt like the final boss for all of it and just 
mixing all of this sh- like shit together and just seeing what the hype is about this huge event that people, you know, spend months working out for or starving themselves or doing all these really <laughs> crazy things for just three days. Mm-hmm. For, uh, what I'm hearing is that you still have your serotonin. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, that 5-HTP really be kicking in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I remember uh, my first EDC. I think I went 2012. And I've been wanting to go for so long. And I think EDC had just moved from LA to Vegas, actually. And my boyfriend and I at the time, we actually watched like a documentary that EDC released that you had to buy on iTunes. Like there was like, it was not a streaming service at the time. And I was like, we really want, I really want to go, but I'm scared. Like we were so scared of going. Like it just sounds so intense and there's too, this sounds like too much, but we would keep watching sets on YouTube at the time when there was like really grainy. Um, and so we decided like, let's just go one day. Let's just dip our feet in carefully and go one day. And I convinced a couple of other friends to go. And we had an amazing time that one day and we're like, we have to come back for the full weekend. And I think, wasn't that the next year that you joined, Chris? I didn't know that you only went one day because it was Pride and I saw you all. It was right around when I first met you. And you're saying, we should go to this thing next year. I (laughs) never heard of EDC or EDM. I didn't know any of the music. And so... I just said yes to everything. It's my the beginning of my year of yes. And also, like you, Aiden, I hadn't drank or did anything. That was a, a right around that time was when I just started. And it was wild. It so, was the awakening. It was just like, oh, my God. So yeah. you had gone to other raves beforehand, right? Yes, I have. Uh, my first rave was like July 2022. But. And how would you describe those um, raves compared to your experience last week? I just think that EDC is, like, fucking huge. Like, you have so many stages and so much shit going on. You mm-hmm. probably could wander. Like, that's what I did on day one. I would just tripped on acid and just walked around. But, um, <laughs> like, there's so many stages. There's so much to do. It's quite different than a lot of the smaller events that I've been to that only have maybe one or two stages or just one stage to begin with. And you also have a lot of varied artists. You can, there's so many new artists that I just discovered or different sounds that I've never heard of before that I found that I really enjoyed while just wandering at EDC, stumbling upon this new artist, this new set. How did you end up at your first rave? Oh, okay. This is. That's a great story, I guess, because I was traveling. I was I planned a grad trip after graduating from my undergraduate degree. Um, I traveled to San Francisco, and I was it was my first time solo traveling. So as one does, you know, you jump on Grinder or on Tinder, <laughs> and like you're scrolling through all these profiles. And one person that I matched with was like, "Oh, are you going to Audiotistic this weekend?" And I was like, "What's that?" And then they you know they said that it was a rave. And at that point, I had just started getting into this rave research. I still haven't gone, like, at that point, I still haven't went to a rave. But I had mm-hmm. read, like, I read a whole bunch of articles. I read my um, supervisor, my advisor's um, PhD dissertation on, like, gloving and all this other stuff. So I was really well-versed in, like, the theory behind raving. But um, I still hadn't gone to one at that point. So I just said, fuck it. I'll just go with you. So I went with this guy mm-hmm. on Tinder. I just went with them to my first rave. Um, and I went completely sober. I just, I didn't feel comfortable trying anything out at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they were tripping strangers, balls on yeah. acid. But um, mm-hmm. I was just, I went there sober. And it, the headliner was Rez and Chris Lake. And it was oh, so fun. Oh my That's God. That's a great it introduction. Such, it's such a treat to have Rez and Chris Lake as like your first headliners. It was so much fun. It was so adventurous, just just meeting up with guys in Grinder and going to a rave. That's great. When in San Francisco, I guess you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, were you drawn to electronic music before you I decided to do your do. research on raves, or honestly, before before getting into like rave research, I wasn't really drawn to EDM. I mean, of course. Um, you know, in my early teens, you know, in the the golden era of like 2014, you had Zed coming out with Clarity, Stay the Night. You had all these really great EDM bangers that were on the radio. And you also had Avicii and all these like really amazing progressive house artists coming out. And there was a time when like Martin Garrix in my 
mid-teens, I guess, that was like pumping out a new song every single month. So EDM mm-hmm. in that sense was always on the radio. It was always something that I listened to, but it wasn't something that I really was drawn to in particular. Um, it wasn't until COVID, it wasn't until talking and joining a new group of Gaijin friends in Vancouver that EDM has kind of consumed my life. It's the only thing I listen to at this point. But before that, mm-hmm. it was just like anime openings and like geeky shit like that. <laughs> my first rave was in college. I've, I've always loved electronic dance music since like the ATB trance days was in high school. It was that like California rave culture in the early 2000s that was like permeated my kind of Asian American suburb. Like people dressed in the big Jenko jeans in high school, like in the halls, they had the pacifiers. Like it was a vibe, a style and a culture. I decided to finally like get the bravery to go to my first rave in college. And I just kind of also fell in love with the music. And I think Chris, when we and you and I went to our first EDC, that was when EDM went like pop. Like that was when all the David Guetta singles were hitting the gay clubs. You had... Calvin Harris beginning his career and and churning out all those hits and EDM was really like in the mainstream. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's all these people who are talking about how the golden age of EDM was right when we had started going there. And now looking back, how you say clarity is big and everyone knows it still. It didn't go away. She's still that girl at the club. You know, she plays and we we all go feral for it. So you get to your first rave off a... (laughs) <laughs> off a conversation with a guy on Grider in SF. Many raves later, EDM has subsumed your music taste and you decide to go to your first EDC. What would you say the biggest surprise was for you? I think the surprise for me was just like how many Gaijins were actually going to go to EDC. Like I knew it was going to be a lot, but I didn't expect myself to be smack in the middle of kinetic field with like what looked like 500 gays just in a blob around me, just like clothes off, like shirts are off and they're just grinding against each other. And I was very disoriented and kind of overwhelmed (laughs) by the whole situation. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. everywhere you turn, it was just like, gay Asian guys just everywhere. And it was really, really surprising for me, just the kind of subculture that exists there. And then also the stuff that happens beforehand, like all the home pause, all the, you know, the thought that goes into the outfits and also, you know, candy choices for the night. There's so much planning that these people have gone into thinking about this event. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of overwhelming for me because it almost made me feel like I had underplanned what I wanted to do at EDC. It always feels like that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it always feels like that. And sometimes you're just like, I'm committing to my choices. Yeah, I just got to stick with what you know, play it safe. Yeah. In terms of the music, what was like the biggest highlight music-wise for you this year at EDC? I started almost every single night at Wastelands, like with the hardstyle sets and... Heart style just hits so good. Like when you're starting off, it hypes you up. It gets you ready for the rest of the night. And I know that heart style is kind of making its entrance into the North American rave scene. But like the Aussie ravers, they've been they know what's been going on for like years now. Heart style has been such a strong trend in Australia. It's it's a shame that it hasn't come here yet, but it's really exciting to see that hard sales picking up here. It was that was my biggest um, excitement. Like you know, every single night, just starting off with hard style, and I kind of yeah. wish I ended the like I ended my mm-hmm. last day with hard style, but instead I was stuck in the middle of kinetic field during um, cascades like a trance set, which mm-hmm. I'm not a trance person. Like I'm not a trance gay. I I don't think I could go to dream state. There, there's something about trance that just escapes me at the moment i can only really get into trance like when i'm high as a kite i'm there with you i'm there with you yeah we're, we're there with you um we're not fans of trance sorry la- an ep- a few episodes ago i was making fun of people who like trance but and i was confused for a whole minute thinking that he just like talks shit about trans people oh. <laughs> And, oh and later on, he told me, I'm like, I don't think so. And I listened back. I'm like, oh, I'm glad you saved me there because it did sound like I was a big transphobic asshole. <laughs> like, I don't like trans. No, so I'm like, no, we're talking about trance music. Transphobia. Uh, but yeah, yes. tra- we're, we're trans- transphobic. Phobic. Transphobic. Um, but we're with you on that. Uh, I, w- I think we're going to show our age. Neon Garden. 
Yeah, I would say like we'll show our age in that hard style. I just don't get. It's like pr- like pretty big in the rave scene or the gay rave scene in LA now, and I just don't get it. And I'd say like me and you, Chris, are more like Neon Gardens people. Mm-hmm. Is there oh, even like Neon Gardens anymore? Yeah, there's a Neon Is Gardens. It, yeah. yeah, like that was a fun place to just like zone out on acid and just look at the pretty lights. That was yeah. my vibe. Yeah, we yeah. were we were we're zoners. Um, how about in your first EDC? What was like the biggest letdown, the biggest disappointment about like the event production or the music? Um, I don't I don't know about letdown because it is my first EDC, so like I was kind of like just like deer in the headlights. Everything's amazing. I think one thing was it just felt way too packed at Kinetic Field, like the main stage. Mm-hmm. There's only two entrances, and you had people tripping over each other. There were times where like my friends or even myself, like we were starting to get really, really anxious because we couldn't get out. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you have a friend who's having a medical emergency or is overheating and needs like some fresh air, it's near impossible to get out of that stage. It took me half an hour to get out during slander set. And it took me another 45 minutes to get back in. So by that point, it was kind of like I didn't see slander at that point, which is fine and all that but then as in the middle of getting back to our location slander like the both of them i think it was derek who screamed it out but he was like open up this fucking pit and i was like oh no the mosh pits are opening and i'm just standing there with two like backpacks full of water and i'm like i'm fucked i have no hands i'm just gonna get tossed around and you just have to stay still and just weather the storm until you know the, the, the coast is clear and then you can start walking back to um, your location with the rest of your group. I think that also shows our age that we don't go deep into it. We're always at the edge now. But I feel you on that. And I talked about this in another episode when I went to the White Party Bangkok. And it was like kind of the first big, gigantic party that I've been that I, I've been since the pandemic. Anxiety is something that's like kind of newer to my life. Um, it's something I just started kind of like living with in the last year. Feeling the feeling of being stuck with no way to get out really triggers a panic attack for me, particularly if, and as my therapist says, like sometimes when you're on Molly, the inhibitions of your mind, like tell, calming yourself down that everything's okay is not there. And so like sometimes I could be in that mode where I'm like, it's like the the alarms come off, like doom. Like this is an emergency. You can't escape. If there was one, you can't escape. If I feel stuck like that, I can get into a really bad panic attack. But I've been through it enough to be like, hey, I'm going through it right now. Can someone just hug me? And I'm going to like breathe with me. And then I feel a little better. But just, and then this, this is the one of the things that like deters people from going to EDC or the Rays, right? It's like the, the crowds can be pretty anxiety inducing. Yeah, for sure. And then also like all the the hype that people build towards these three days for just one event can put a lot of pressure on people to, you know, make it do EDC right. And I think I fell into this, like, uh, fallacy myself where, like, I had a plan, I had a spreadsheet, I knew exactly what I wanted to see, what I wanted to do, and I ended up lashing out and being anal to my friends, being like, you know, we need to leave, we need to hit this shuttle, we need to get to the location as soon as possible. We all know that person. I know, and I became, like, an anal Annie, and, like, I was just, like, I was, I, I realized that I was becoming an asshole, and I'm so thankful that my friends were able to stop me and be like, hey, we recognize that you want to work at your own pace, and we are not capable of working at your level, and that's not our way of enjoying EDC. So if you want to go, go solo, go ahead. We respect that. We appreciate that, you know, and we still love you, but just realize that we're not all working on the same schedule and how we enjoy EDC is not the way that you want to enjoy EDC. And I think that was such a good, important learning moment for me because I went in with this checklist. Like, I think this is me being an academic, me being a researcher, being like, these are the things I want to do. These are the things I want to see. I need to photograph this. I need to note take about this. I need to do X, Y, Z for my research, but you guys don't necessarily see it the same way that I do. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. So I don't think that's a letdown, but that's certainly something that I've learned as a big takeaway out of EDC. Yeah, I I laugh because our first EDC together, I created a run of show. I created like Thursday night dinner, 10 p.m. piranha or something like that. And then we like 
possible sets for us to catch. And it wasn't even that many artists at the time. But, you know, I work in PR. Like, we always do, like, these runner show. I printed out the documents, remember? I printed out and actual, one, like... And one moment that shows. we stray, the whole friend group is falling apart. Because as you described how you both, your your crew was able to talk it out, we were not that smart. <laughs> we just fought <laughs> it out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel you on the kinetic field. Because, like, of course, there's the crowd. But then... It's moving through the people's one, then moving through the people who are sitting on the floor is another oh, thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And the third is all the, if it's late enough in the night, all the water bottles. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They become tripping it's hazards. It's like a war zone. It's, it's the worst thing about it. Yeah. And then yeah. the people sitting and you're like, I get worried for them. Like, I like tap their shoulder, like making sure that they're okay. Cause I have like my Narcan, my, um, naloxone like overdose kit with me just making sure everybody's okay but you never know when people are just spaced out on the floor whether they're just vibing or whether they're like out out you know we're gonna get into your research but i want one last question because one of the joys of edc is that they allow totem poles and oh, raves yes. they allow totem poles you go to coachella they don't allow them what was the best totem pole that you saw at edc this year i didn't see it for very long but i did see a totem pole um, they, they have an Instagram handle. I just can't think of it off the top of my head, but they have like a Nintendo Switch hooked onto it and a little like LED screen. And you can go up to this totem pole and you can play like Smash and Mario what? Kart. It's that like, is It's genius. the coolest shit ever. Wait, so is it like an this actual screen? This is like a TV stop. No, it's like a, they have like a little LED screen and they have an emulator oh. of like the original Mario Kart. Oh, so they're oh, playing the play. older 8-bit stuff up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, like, <gasps> so fun. Wow. Okay. Okay, we got to find that. You know you know what? Let's find yeah, that for, like, Someone tripping would be having so much fun on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, if you're tripping on, like, acid, oh, my God. That'd be so much fun. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. All right, now we want to get into the focus of your research. Um, because if you're not familiar with festivals or raves or haven't gone to one in decades, so let's say a lot of our straight friends and even some of the uh, gay community, our gay friends, it's easy to write um, a rave off as just like some crazy party or like some drug thing. So I want to zoom out a little bit more, more big picture about um, maybe what a rave is. So you're doing your research on raves and you have to write your paper. You have to explain to the academic community what a rave is. You know, Aiden, how would you describe it? And what are the key elements of a rave? So at its basic form, a rave, as I usually understand it and describe it to like academic folks and to like my friends who are not ravers, is generally it's a music 
festival or it's a music um, venue kind of event that's usually underground or historically has been underground and it usually plays electronic dance music or it plays like realist like in the north american context historically it's always been house music um so your your classic four on the four ble- uh, four on the floor um beats um that kind of stuff um key elements you don't necessarily like i know that you know if you look at like a dictionary definition of rave oftentimes it'll say that it has to do with electronic dance music and drinking of course drinking is optional <laughs> I've gone mm-hmm. to most of my events sober, um, and I've still had a great time. That's a general premise of how I would describe it. Um, looking at some def- uh, dictionary definitions online, if you look at the ones from Oxford, for example, they'll talk about, you know, it's usually young people, or it's young people who use drugs, um, and that there's <laughs> fast electronic, uh, electronic dance music. But of course, as people who go to raise, we know that this isn't always the case. You don't have to do drugs to have fun. Um, it's clearly it's written old... by people who've never gone. <laughs> it's usually written by old white men, let's face it, right? These definitions, yeah. like conservative old white men who like have never gone to one. And, um, you know, as part of my research, you know, it's always been about like, can you really research something if you've never done it? Always been my ethos when it comes to doing research. How would you describe the spirit of a rave? Like, so we hear plur a lot. What does plur mean and why is it important to what the spirit of a rave is? Yeah, so plur developed, uh, the acronym P-L-U-R developed um, in the 1980s. I think it was Frankie Bones. Um, So it's Chicago house scene um, and it's the, the acronym stands for peace, love, unity and respect. So these are the general like guiding points, code of conduct that we want to have at a rave. Um, you know, you want to spread peace. You want to, you know, give love. You want to be unified with other people in loving music and being together in the moment. And you want to treat each other with respect. What people don't recognize is that there's also another R. So there's an extra oh. R at the end, what? which stands that. for um, responsibility. Um, so being responsible to yourself and being responsible to others so that you know in many cases that's been translated to being careful with your drug usage Um, know what you're taking don't be a burden on other people and being responsible in general when you're in that space is that second R always been there or is that more of like a a later edition it's a later edition I think it was Frankie Bones' spouse that added that they added that in. It's like you know, you should also be like respectful. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's a great builds, addition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where that develops. That's the one thing about raves I love a lot, right? Because going to my first rave, you know, someone walked up to me and they had. Cause I didn't. I didn't get why there's all these like bracelets that people had made. And then mm. someone said like, "Oh, I like the way you dance." So she's like, "I'm going to give you this thing. It says like dancer or something." Or dance or something. That's and so she cute. said, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, give it to me. Like, I just put my hand out. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, no. Have you never exchanged never a, the thing? A, yeah. So, so what is the thing? What, what do you do when you want to exchange a bracelet? So, you like, you, 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 do the, you do the symbol. So, you have your peace, you have your love, you have your unity, and then you have your respect. And then at that point, then you can transfer the candy. Yeah. But and I thought that was from so. Arm to arm. It was like this, someone I didn't know, and I felt like everything at that time. Um, yeah. You just feel so emotional. Right. Yeah. Like, so I remember emotional. my first candy. I was like, ah. And then you can put like an inspiring message on it, like slut. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I find that the the whole like unity thing, yeah, it's cheesy, but I felt um during that first EDC not like there was homophobes everywhere. People were so friendly mm. and like straight guys would be high fiving you. And even though we were clearly queer, like group of folks, and just like seeing, um, and I remember clearly this one like conventionally attractive guy saw me and a friend um, watching him dance. And then we quickly darted our eyes away. He, started dancing closer to us just appreciating the appreciating it and it's it, nothing what was weird and wild uh it was people were just so friendly and i love that about it and like that unity part is just so important too for me anyways because like when i was growing up you know listening to like songs or whatever or even like during covid for example you're listening to a lot of this music by yourself you know mm-hmm. in your own room isolated in quarantine 
being able to sing the songs that you've been singing to yourself for so long with a group of people, with friends that you really, really appreciate, holding on to somebody's hand, like those moments of unity are kind of why people go to raves, I think. And it's that's that probably, Bacchanal experience. Yeah. And it's, you cannot explain it to somebody who's never been to a rave. Like the girls that get it, get it. The girls that don't, don't. And I think that is partially why there's such a rise in the popularity of going to raves at the moment, post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's on a surge right now. It's becoming trendy. And a part of that is because we've lacked that kind of closeness and unity during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and with this growing um, popularity of raves and these types of festivals, there's also, like you said, nearly 500 Gaijins, um were in Kinetic Field this EDC. And it was definitely just in the dozens when um, Chris and I went like in 2013. So there's also a growing subculture of Gaijins at um, raves and EDC. And that's been the focus of your, your research. What can you tell us about what's the draw of these festival and rave spaces specifically for Gaijins or queer Asian men? I think there's just something as as I understand it, and of course every every person that goes to these events has their own interpretation, and that's why like I've been trying to field out through my research and through interviews like how people interpret these events, but it comes down to just being able to find a space where you're allowed to explore your gender, your sex, and your sexuality. You have queer folks that for the first time in their lives, they're allowed to like cross-dress for the, you know, in a comfortable, Mm -hmm. safe setting, Mm -hmm. myself included. Um, Or you have folks that are able to express sexuality through dance in a, you know, in a consensual Mm -hmm. way at these events, you know, we, we might not see it as political or as empowering, but, you know, for some folks that are in more stressful environments where they're not able to express themselves, grinding or bopping, you know, with a group of gays is really empowering. Being able to look around and see people who look like you, who um, share some of the same similar experiences as you, can be really empowering. On the other hand, it's also, you know, It can be very stressful, like for myself, where, you know, I don't look like a lot of the other Gaijins that I was surrounded by. I was not as fit as them. I was not as tall as them. And there was a lot of judgment where, you know, during, I can't remember what set, I think it was like during the Martin Garrick set, or it was during when, like, when the whole bunch of gays were in Kinetic Field, you see them not really dancing. You see them mostly eyeing each other down. And they're looking at each other, trying to make an assessment on who's going to be a fitting partner for tonight. Who am I going to make out with? And Mm -hmm. the politics behind that of who is recognized, who is disposed of, I think is also part of my research as well. Thinking about those kind of the politics within the subculture. The rave bays, do's and don'ts. Yeah. And also thinking about how so many folks have thought conventionally of rave bays as like part of the checklist for EDC. Or part of a rave, right? You got to find a rave bay to make out with under the fireworks. Oh my God, it's going to be like <laughs> peak core memory shit. Mm-hmm. And when we think of it as a win or lose situation that you've won when you have a rave bay and when you've lost when you haven't had one and that you failed the EDC experience, that's when it becomes very harmful and toxic. And I myself fall into that fallacy as well. Um, and that's been part of my ongoing kind of reflection as a researcher. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because th- I don't think that was around when you and I went in 2013, uh-huh. right, Chris? Like this yeah. idea of rave bays? Or maybe mm-hmm. maybe, maybe no one was looking we at it. We were just so new. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I like, re- like when watching one of those documentaries, people would talk about it. But I think we were just so new to it. We were just blown away by all the other aspects of it. But I, over the years, like meeting young younger folks, all, everyone talks about a rave bay. And it's like, the words like rave bay, core memories, it's funny how often that comes up within um, within talking about, like, I think going to these parties. It's just part of, like, this changing scene in, like, the queer Gaijin community where, like, now we're kind of, like, we have our community, we have ourselves in abundance. Now we want to find recognition, we want to find intimacy, we want to find love. And for some of us, it just means being acknowledged, like being seen and being acknowledged and being chased after by someone at a rave is part of that experience, I think. Um, How we digest that, whether that's harmful or toxic, that's up for further debate and for further conversation and 
deconstruction, but that's something to consider. My theory is it's the circuit party behavior infiltrating the rave rave uh-huh. scene because that's totally allowable. And, and there's raves now that say like, like Ospenhoff in LA says no circuit party behavior, absolutely no tolerance for circuit party behavior. And you realize what they mean by that. You know, you see that in full display at, at some place like EDC. I want to get back to your research and kind of the personal lens of that. Like what, what mm. inspired you to focus your research on that? My research is informed by the Gaijin community in Vancouver, by the people that have like, you know, talk to me about why they go to raves and why they think it's empowering to see so many other Gaijin folks at these events. But more recently, my research has been more powered by what's been going on in the United States, thinking about anti-Asian racism. So in Mm -hmm. particular, um, my PhD application right now is um, looking at the issue of Asian American joy and Asian Canadian joy. Um, so I root my thinking and my processes of analysis to the shootings, um, in Monterey Park during Lunar New Year. So thinking Mm -hmm. about how a Chinese or an Asian American group of folks were trying to dance in a dance hall and that moment of joy was destroyed through a shooting and thinking about the importance of joy to the Asian American or the Asian Canadian experience and, where we find spaces to dance, where we find spaces to be happy. This is also part of our protest, um, that we are allowed to live and thrive in these spaces. So rave research and raving falls into that. Gaijin raving falls into this as a larger analysis of what it means to be a gay or like a queer Asian American in 2023. Is our joy... um, compromised at a rave when we think about raves as i I should probably take a step back and think about this um, through a historic lens but raves in north america at the very least were designed in the 1970s 80s and 90s by queer um, black and latinx communities and then slowly white folks came in bought up those spaces and then created it into this mass commodity capitalist thing that we see now that is Mm -hmm. edc Mm -hmm. right so they went from something that was for like low income, lower class POC folks to something that's mostly for cis white folks. Um, so thinking about where Asians, queer Asians and other minority groups fall in place now as it's shifted into that kind of space, I think is important. Part of your research includes um, crowning the experiences of Gaijins through your questionnaires. So can we be part of your uh, collecting? Uh, do you have any questions that you could ask us to include in your of paper? Of course. I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a few of the most, like, spiciest questions. Or, like, I'll give you the questions that tend to be the most thought-provoking as I have been working through my own questionnaires and research. I'll, I'll throw this out to both of you folks. Um, has raving and plur potentially shaped the way that you approach love and relationships in general. So, for example, has plur potentially helped shape the way that you think about um, a platonic relationship or an intimate relationship? Hmm. I feel like if you had asked me this 10 years ago during EDC, I would say wildly yes. It's it's so Hmm. hard. Uh, I I think there is... It definitely has... um, Uh, contributed uh, to how I approach relationships, but I I couldn't, I couldn't Mm -hmm. identify it like right now, like this. It's, 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 but it is like a, it is such a good question. And and I think it's partly because. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's partly because I feel so disconnected from it lately. Uh, So the memories are blurry. Yeah. (laughs) Because like some of my informants have talked about how like, they weren't open to this idea of open relationships until they saw how it worked ah. at a rave setting or mm. they didn't see how they, they they didn't understand how you could love multiple people until they had plur or like this raving experience to kind of um make it legible to them oh that's a great connection yeah yeah for me i guess I uh, I love the ethos or like the spirit of plur. Like I agree with it, 
but it's become larger than something that I just connect to raves. If that makes any sense. Like it's, mm. I think it's living in San Francisco for 10 years. And in San Francisco, you also have the burning man type of like freedom. I think, I think we were, I was just at lunch and with a bunch of people in SF and they were talking about like just how different people's polycules and like the different arrangements that people have that just, it's just been a lot so much more open in San Francisco um, that, Plur kind of marries with that type of ethos to create kind of how I see life, like the openness I see life. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just kind of blends into like everyday living, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's strange because, like, as you say that, like, I see to not connect them because I don't think they're the same thing. But I've I've gone to Burning Man like so many times, and I but like there's a lot of um, uh, similarities in that sort of like how you should be interacting with other people around you in the world, and there's overlap, uh, but I wouldn't say, but we wouldn't call Burning Man a festival, uh, but and the their cultures of people who go to EDC festivals who also go to Burning Man and are there for just the partying. And I think, yeah, like similar to Bao, there's a blend of all of those things of growing up in San Francisco around this culture that kind of, that, 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 that makes me who I am now. I think there's also like an unspoken kind of privilege of being like a West Coast Gaijin. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like California gays, like, you guys know where it's at, right? You like you know. Um, yeah, What's this whole up, thing? Like, yeah, like, explain yeah. this whole thing about California Gaijins. A friend of yours who's also a friend of ours, Chris from yes. Toronto, also did something on California Asians. I think we live in it, so we don't see it. But like, how do you see us as like California Gaijins? Literally, where like Asian American culture is basically California, like. that's what you guys kind of control the trends and what's going on that you guys are the biggest producers of culture we just kind of follow along and i say this as somebody who's also on the west coast but from vancouver which is you know a small relatively small city compared to like you know other places I, i guess i sort of understood that because i thought of that as um uh socal gaijins they were the producers so i'm on like the inside, but I'm on the outside of the inside. San Francisco yeah, is, is very San different. Like, yeah. It has its Bay own different. culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bay Area is different, but like LA, they do it different. Yeah. Yeah, we get hyphy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's also like the privilege of being being able to grow up in like Asian majority spaces. Like mm-hmm. I went to a high school in Vancouver where most of the folks were Asian. Yeah. I never saw myself as a Me visible too. minority until I left. And then I was like, oh, shit. Right? I think that's a privilege that, like, Miss Midwestern gays or Miss mm-hmm. Midwestern Asian Americans, Asian Canadians don't get. Right? We, uh-huh. we live under this kind of illusion of the majority. But mm-hmm. when you look at, you know, statistics, we're still not. Um, but that's a side tangent. <laughs> It plays into, like, all of this. And I think it plays into, like, why maybe so many of these Gaijins go to these raves and all of that stuff. Like, I think I was privileged in that I don't have the story of going to lunch and eating smelly noodles and people making fun of me like I always saw on television. I was like, I had good food and everybody was jealous. I'm like, that bitch bought sushi to lunch? Give me some of that, that rich bitch. (laughs) It was so much more admiration and appreciation in our spaces. Yeah, it like I I didn't have to grow up with that kind of stereotype necessarily of like people making fun of like smelly food because we all kind of we all were Asian. Hit us up with another question. Yes. Okay. Do you ever think about age, your age, or the age of others? <sighs> oh my God. Good Lord is. Good Lord. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole episode <laughs> on its own. Jesus. I mean, and I say this because like because I'm 22. Not to mm-hmm. date myself. I was born in 2000. Mm-hmm. But um, so mm-hmm. like I, I know that my age is a big deal when it comes to going to raise because not many people my age can afford to go to these events. Not at their stage, mm-hmm. not at this stage in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. EDC is hell of expensive. So, yeah. How much does it cost now, by the way? I don't, I don't know. Oh my God. I think like I ballparked like $2,000 Canadian. It's like, you know. Oh, for like you have to travel and everything. Cause, yeah, because yeah, I have to fly down. Oh yeah, another wow. another California Asian privilege. Like you just drive over or something. Oh yeah, you can yeah. just drive in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Well, you want to take that question first, don't you? Oh, God. Especially the last few years, because I'm 43 now. Or as that one one uh, listener uh, approaching 40 said, um, I think about it too frequently. And especially mm. as uh, if I were to go to one of these types of events and I see uh, what I jokingly say, oh, look, it's our replacements. Um, all these young Gaysians <laughs> having like this good old time mm-hmm. and having it in a different way than I did. And it does sometimes make me jealous because I, I grew up, my 20s were spent like at protests. I didn't go to my first, um, uh, you know, it's, like 90s, 2000s. And my first EDC was, first rave altogether was when I was 33. So uh, even then, I still thought a little bit about my age, but not, but I still felt, I don't know, to say young at heart. But now it, 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 it's different, especially when you're, my body's given up and just, but more seeing both through, like I said, jealousy and admiration. Um, and because I'm happy for all these Gaysians being able to just have such a good time because it was dozens before. Now it's numbering in the thousands. Yeah, it's all like, you know, don't want to go back to that kind of that saying, but like you, you had to walk so that I could run kind of situation, right? Like mm. I grew up in a family where I was privileged enough to like be out very like early in my life. Like I was out when I was 11. And, like, being able to have an accepting family and stuff. So, of course, my lived experiences of being queer and Asian are completely seismically different than both of your experiences, right? And that, you know, is that jealousy or is that, like, admiration? I, you know, it, it can, it can yeah. get really sticky for some folks. Yeah, the, the age question for me, personally, I don't think about it if I'm at, like, an underground rave. Um, it's dark. An underground rave. It's dark. It's there's one event, there's one venue. If I'm feeling old and tired, I can leave. No one needs to know what my age is. But when I think of EDC, the effort that has to be put into it, um, I feel like the last time I went was 2016, and that was probably going to be the last time I go because I, I've I've told myself in my head I've aged out of it. I know a lot of listeners have are older than me and go and not saying that you look like you had an amazing time. And I wish I had that type of like energy, right. And, um, zeal for life. But I unfortunately have some insecurities where I think I've aged out of EDC. So I don't even, it's not even on the radar for me. So funny because I was just going to bring up that we should do like an anniversary return sometime, get all the gang back together and go back. And, uh, next year, maybe 2024. Oh my god, that'd be so cute with the walkers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, she knows us now. She's getting she's getting comfortable. Well, well, Aiden, I do want to turn that question back to you because you did mention like that you you see age as something that's uh, a lens that you view this through. Like, how, how do you answer that question for yourself, and how have people you've asked that question answer it? So, I think for me, like age really ticked off for me like what what as a area as a critical area of analysis when i was thinking about like going to the home pa um before edc mm-hmm. i was very clearly mm-hmm. the youngest person in the room and i personally felt very anxious the way that people were just looking me top to bottom and then making an assessment and then turning away or walking away mm-hmm. um and then also having conversations with people and like we're our on completely different planets when we're talking about life goals or life things, you know, they're, you know, they're tech bros in SF or something. And I'm like, I'm paying student loans. I'm in grad school or, you know, like we're on seismically different fields. Um, and I, I can't help but say that I feel out of place. Um, and not necessarily in a way that you would think like, it would be to your benefit. Like, I think there's this idea that, oh, you're young and you look like a twink, so you know, all the benefits to you, but that's not always the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to be dismissed because you're too young or to be seen as risky because you're too young or be seen as somebody not attractive because you're too young. That, Like, I've certainly been turned down um, like in the dating scene because I'm too young. People see me as a liability, interesting or immature right so it it happens 
Um, age One is... day you'll miss it. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, that's when you start using the Botox, but, you know. Which we both do. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just got mine this week. <laughs> but, but so, so Aiden, let, let's, let's each of us give an answer, okay? What do you think is the prime desirable age of a Gaijin who goes to EDC? And maybe like, Oof. don't you, don't you ask you first. What do you think is that prime age range? Okay, age range. I'm, you know what I'm seeing is that if this is too big of a range, I would put it at 23 to 33. There's this decade uh, where I would say is mm. your hot years. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like... Now, 23 is like, you know, the early cusp of it. You're still kind of growing into it, but it still is like the hot years. And then um, I feel like I, I noticed that that's who's there and that's who's like in it to win it. And they're going hard. How about you, Aiden? I was going to say 25 to 35. Which is, like, basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, in my mind, like, your 30s are basically your 20s, but with money. So, mm. you know, that that's the way I see it. Like, you know, and most of the people that I've been to raves with tend to be in that age bracket as well. Like, they're starting, they're, like, early in their career or they're mid-career folks working up the ladder and they have that financial security to go to EDC. It doesn't feel like they're paying an arm and a leg to do it. Yeah. And also like they know, they know like the gist of like what to expect. You know, they probably don't like OD them or like overdose themselves on like G or something. Like they know how to do their dosing right now at this point. So like they're veterans, they know. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to agree with both of you. So maybe I'll just change mine to be 24 to 34. (laughs) So in between like what you guys have been saying, because I do think with being in the earlier end of that spectrum, you just got out of college, you started getting paychecks, and you've seen something like an EDC kind of rule social media in the circles, or, or you're, you've just come out into the scene and you see that it's such mm-hmm. a big part of the scene. So it's aspirational to go, and so you find a way to go. Um, you're more in tune with the music and where music is right now. And so you know most of the artists at EDC, and so are really excited to go. And you may have a job where you can maybe show up, like, or, or you can recover after two days and just go back to work. Uh, yeah, the physicality of it. And when, when you're a little older, and sorry, like, don't you and I used to be kind of SF tech bros in, in our own ways, technically. You have much more responsibility at work. You can't take that many days off to recover. That Monday. Um, but, you do, but you do know through trial and error what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Uh, I see some people going in for one day and then like coming back on a Sunday because they had to fly out for work on Monday. Sometimes life just kind of gets in the way. And personally, whatever you're going through your life kind of gets in the way. Or personally, what you think of yourself, like what I said, like I've aged out of it, gets in the way. But I, that, that's where I think like the most free years to kind of do this stuff is like 25 to 35. Yeah, I think you're also at an age where you're like very flexible, like you're willing, it's easier to make friends, if that makes sense. Like, I think for me as a younger person going into EDC, what was very shocking for me was like how divided the Gaijin community could be. Like the SF gays would have their own house party or their own pregame and then the Seattle gays would do their own thing. And, like, each of them has, like, their own culture. Like, it's hard to get into, like, become an insider in the groups. I personally felt very um, alienated and isolated from, like, the New York gays. Like, I was standing behind a bunch of them, and they didn't want to talk to me. I was, Mm -hmm. like, I was fanning everybody around me at one point in Kinetic Field, and then they would turn away, and they just didn't want to talk to me. Mm. So, like, there's that kind of, like alienation and there was like and it's like i was not having a good trip at that point i was starting to spiral into like negative thoughts i was like why don't they want to hang out with me is it because of what i'm wearing is it like is this something i'm doing wrong am i just not attractive i thought i went to the gym enough like and then like it just spiraled into like a lot of negative thoughts but like that is to say that there is a superficiality to like the gaijin community and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that but it's just like something that you know it's there we have to address and that we all have to learn how to navigate and also like learn when to let it go mm, well, yes let, definitely. i mean let's let's be honest chris have you ever had those thoughts at a rave or a circuit party every single time <laughs> me too and we know most of these people 
Like we we you would if we were there, you would probably categorize us into some of those groups. All those guys, they're feeling the exact same thing. And they're just being more shitty about it, I guess. And some people are just better at masking it. I, I think mm. my my theory is that most people are having these thoughts at different levels. Some are really good at hiding it. Like really good. So let's close this research section out with one last research question. Oh, okay. Um, tell me about one time that you've been at a rave with like a bunch of Gaijins and you went like, holy shit, like this is the community I've been looking for. I feel so seen. Here you go first, pal. <laughs> so it wasn't at a rave. It was at a circuit party. I hate to say okay. this because I hate circuit music, but it was at my first circuit party in Taipei. So like the first time I went to a circuit party in Asia where you saw the whole room was Asian. And Asian from Asia, Asia fr- Asian from Taiwan, Asian from Korea, Asian from Vietnam, Asian from Australia, Asian from California, Asian from Canada, Asian from Europe. It was amazing for everyone to be just there. And you saw so many different types of like attractiveness. And you saw so many different um, body types even. There's like the pandas and the and the twinks and the muscly gays and the tall ones and the short ones. And everyone was just so friendly. Like I think Taipei in general, like those parties are just just very friendly. And I just felt I was a part of something bigger. Like I finally felt like I was part of like a global diaspora of people. And that was a very, very powerful feeling. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. Subsequent times when I came back to these parties, I realized like that feeling was not as powerful anymore. It's because that is what I expect now. Or the, I know that that diaspora is there. I don't have to go to something I don't enjoy to, to feel that feeling, right? It, it starts to be a sense of more internal pride versus something I have to go to to get validation about, if that makes any sense. And that's, it's so cool that you're saying that because I've interviewed like at least a dozen people at this point and I've gone through like 70 survey results. And one thing I've noticed is that consistent, like this idea of like a global Asian, queer Asian diaspora, what some folks have been calling Gaysia as a concept, like has been, it seems to be reoccurring and it seems to be something that's Worthy of more investigation. I just don't know how to squeeze it into my research yet. But yes, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I think it partly is because maybe here in the Americas, we're all lumped as one, but we all know that we're all like, oh, there's the Chinese, there's the Vietnamese, there's the Indian folks. And something about going to one of these like super parties, it felt um, it didn't feel like an outsider, even though I still was the American outsider. It just, it just made me think about what if I had grown up here and was a part of this culture as the majority. I, I both really loved it, and but also um, yearned for it. All right, with that last research question, we're going to wrap up. I guess we could do a Be Real, but I feel like this whole episode has been a Be Real. And so, Aiden, thanks so much for coming on to the pod and being so vulnerable about your experiences and scratching our EDC FOMO with your underground reporting. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it because I think you said a lot of things that I was not able to articulate in my own head. And so it's nice to, it's almost like having it on paper in a way. So it's, it was really fun to see, like, talk about the, you know, bigger forces at play for Gaijins in the EDM scene that you're researching. So I'm excited to see like, the results of it. I'm, I'm glad you came on. Oh, thank you yeah, so much. It's on. been such a pleasure to be on this podcast. I've been listening for, I've been a listener for quite a bit. So it's really Yay. cool to be actually on it for the first time. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. It was so fascinating to hear just like our personal lives in this larger context. And yeah, it, it was just really, just really fascinating. So I have a lot to chew on. Especially from someone uh, from another generation too. Wait, let's, talk, let's stop the age thing. Remember, I know we're both out of the 20, we're all out of the 25 to 35 range or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so where can they find you on the socials, on social media, Aiden? Yeah, so my Instagram is 
A-Y-D-I-N underscore Q-U-A-C-H. That's where you'll find most of my, like, research musings on my stories. I tend to be very public about my research and, like, thinking about my thought processes while I do research or while I'm at raves. So if you ever want to see, like, my more nitty-gritty kind of analysis, like, that's usually where I do it on my IG stories, frankly. Um, You can also follow me on Twitter at A-Y-D-I-N-Q-U-A-C-H. Very simple. Um, yeah, I don't really use Facebook. So it's IG or Twitter for me. <laughs> That's yeah, me going you... back to an age thing. <laughs> uh, and you can follow us at Literally Gaysians on Instagram and TikTok. And so with peace, love, unity, respect, and responsibility, the new R. Bye, mm-hmm. everyone. See you next time. EDC. EDC. 365 day returns.